now listening to the Charity Church Podcast. Hey, uh, I just want to thank you guys, all of you who had a stake or part in this weekend. Thanks for those who participated in hosting and allowing some high schoolers, some middle schoolers, you braver ones, into your homes. Uh, thank you for those who helped with transportation, those who helped with uh, food. Thank you for those who helped with just other random things that come up. And uh, thank you guys for letting us use the church. We had uh, 10 churches here this weekend, incredible fruit. Uh, we had some people take first steps in receiving Christ as their Savior and Lord. Can we give it up for that this morning? Awesome, awesome. And uh, I want to just give a quick shout out to all of our small group leaders. Students, can we give it up for our small group leaders this weekend? Man, uh, listen, if you guys, any of you guys fall asleep during the sermon, it's totally fine. All right, this morning, totally fine. Just kidding. You will be judged. All right. Hey, we're going to need a Bible this morning. So if you guys have your Bibles, you're going to open it up to Mark chapter 8 this morning. Mark chapter 8 is where we're going to be in the Bible this morning. Um, if you don't have a physical Bible, you're welcome to use your phone. Uh, we call that in student ministry the lightsaber. It's a phone, phone Bible. You're welcome to use that as well. Mark chapter 8 is where we're going to be this morning. And while you're turning there, I want to tell you about one of my favorite historical figures. It's a man by the name of William Tyndale. Here's a photo of him. William Tyndale is right here. And William Tyndale uh, was born in 1492 in the southwestern part of England. He grew up uh, a gifted and intelligent linguist, becoming fluent in over eight languages. Here they are. French, Greek, Hebrew, German, Italian, Latin, and Spanish, in addition to his native tongue, English. Tyndale believed strongly that the Bible should be able to be read by everyone, not just the elites of the Catholic Church. So he set out to translate the Bible into English so that his countrymen could read the scriptures. This was, of course, illegal at the time, and if found, it would cost Tyndale his very life. So he spent much of his adult years running all over Europe, translating the Bible, dodging the authorities in various townships and cities, all while making known the message of Scripture in his native tongue. Until one day, when he's betrayed, and he's captured, and he's going to spend the next 16 months imprisoned, until 1536, when the king of England sentences Tyndale to death, and so on the morning of October 6th, 1536, in front of an onlooking crowd, much like this one today on this Lord's Day, Tyndale is strangled and burned at the stake publicly in front of this onlooking crowd. And Tyndale, as he hung up and as he burned, as his flesh melted and as his life faded, the last words that came from his mouth were, Lord Open the king of England's eyes. You could say that Tyndale lost his life for Christ long before he died. And because Tyndale was faithful, you and I sit here today, hopefully open on our laps. We can look down and see a tome, a testament of his legacy in our world today. Now, why do I tell you this this morning? Write this down. 
following Jesus is costly, isn't it? Following Jesus is costly. This morning, I don't have a title slide for you, but the title of my message this morning is The Costly Commission. If you're taking notes, you want to write that down as a title. The title is The Costly Commission. Christ has called us as disciples to a costly commission, to be disciples and make disciples. And we're going to explore in the text on this Lord's Day what that looks like for us. Go in your Bibles with me now to Mark chapter 8. We're going to start reading in verse 31. Here's what it says. And he, Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly, verse 32, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But, to, uh, but turning and seeing his disciples, he turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, turning around and seeing this crowd, a crowd probably much larger than this one in the room, and he turns and he says to them a very unpopular message. Here's what he says. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life, verse 35, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word, God. We pray that in this time, this next 30 minutes, Lord, that you would unveil the message of the text to us. God, we are not here to hear the opinions of a man or some broad Christian platitudes. Lord, we came today to hear what you have to say to us. God, would you speak to us in your word this morning? Use me as a vessel, Lord. God, I pray that the, the message of what it means to be a true disciple would become evident this morning. And God, that you would call us in this room as believers to this costly commission. And only you can do it, Lord, so we give you this time. We pray all this in your mighty name. And everybody in the room said, amen. amen. Plus 10 heaven points for your amen. Amen. <clears throat> there are three truths in this morning's message that I want to show you. Here's the first one. I'll give it to you right now. Peter had his mindset on earthly comforts. You can write that down if you're taking notes. It's a proven biblical fact. If you take notes, you get better cloud coverage in heaven, more points. All that. So take notes, free, okay? Peter had his mindset on earthly comforts. Write that down. If you look in verse 31 and 32, the text says that Jesus began teaching them, meaning he either hadn't taught them or he hadn't been clear with them yet what his messianic kingdom would look like. And so he begins to teach them. Now, listen, you see the disciples at this point in Jesus's ministry as they had been following him and pursuing him and all these kinds of things. They didn't know that the future for them was a cross. You see, the disciples thought that the only way was up. The only way was forward. We were on a rise to the top. Nothing can stop us. We got this guy, Jesus of Nazareth. Who can stop us? And yet the disciples did not realize that Calvary's cross was in Christ's future. That this Christ would 
suffer, the text says, be rejected, look at verse 31, and be killed, and then on the third day, resurrect. And Peter, one of the closest followers and confidants of Jesus, begins to rebuke Jesus. Now, if you don't know what the word rebuke is, it basically means to tell someone that you're wrong. Now, I don't know what you got in Sunday school growing up, but my Sunday school teachers never encouraged me to ever question God, right? So Peter rebuking Jesus just wouldn't recommend that to you, okay? You can write that down in your notes if you want. Would never recommend you telling Jesus he's wrong. That's just, you're not gonna win that one, okay? Whole son of God thing, you know, like omniscient, he knows all things, right? So you're just not gonna win that. But the bigger question is why? Why does Peter, one of Jesus' closest followers and confidants, rebuke his savior, his master, his rabbi? It seems as though Peter would have rightly understood who Jesus was. This is the same Peter who in Matthew 16 recognized Jesus as Christ, the Son of God. The same Peter who in John 6 recognizes Jesus as the Holy One of God who had the words of eternal life. It's the same Peter here in this text that recognizes Jesus as the Messiah. So why is Peter rebuking Jesus? Well, here's why. Because Peter had his mindset on earthly comforts. Peter cared about personal comfort like you and I do. Peter cared about safety like we do. Peter cared about wealth like we do. Peter cared about his own desires like we do. But check this out, beloved, this morning, church. Jesus, Peter doesn't realize that Jesus wasn't here to live so that he might die. But check this out, to die so that we might live. Let me say that one more time. Peter didn't understand that Jesus was not here to live so that he might die, but to die so that we might live. That's the gospel. So here's how Mark 10.45 is gonna say it. The son of man came not to be served, but to serve. You know that your savior Jesus came to serve, not to be served, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Second Corinthians 5.21, Paul's gonna write it this way. For our sake, he made him who knew no sin to become sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The text that pierces us on this Sunday morning is not a text written to 21st century Americans, although we are. Those of us who care more about what the world has to offer us than what we have to offer the world. Peter writes this soberingly to us this morning. Oh, dear church, may we not be bound to our comforts as Peter is. May we not be imprisoned to our modern sensibilities as Peter is. May we not be chained to our own desires. May, may, may we not be shackled to our own self-securities. May our lives not be marked as Peter's was madly running after earthly comforts. Which brings me to the second truth of the text this morning. If you look in verse 33, here's what we find out, that Jesus wanted Peter's mindset on heaven's commission. So we see in verse 31 and 32, Peter's mindset on his earthly comforts. And in the second truth this morning, in verse 33, if you look at your Bible, you're gonna see that Jesus emphatically wants Peter's mind to be set on heaven's commission. Let's look at the text and see. Jesus says this in Mark 8, 33. He says, get behind me, Satan, 
For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things, or the things of, yeah, things of God, but the things of man. Before we journey any further, church, I think it's important that we, we address this text. It's kind of odd, isn't it? That Jesus would call Peter one of his closest confidants and followers. This is, this is the same Peter who Jesus in Mar, or Matthew 16 is going to, to declare, Peter, on this rock, not Peter, but Christ, talking about himself, on this rock, I'm gonna build my church. And the gate or the, the Hades and hell will not overcome it, right? This is the same Peter who walks in the water with Jesus. This is the same Peter who Jesus invites further into the garden of Gethsemane to pray with him because Peter was, one, was known as uh, Galatians 2, one of the pillars, the inner three. There was 12 disciples, then you had a group of nine, and then you had a smaller group of three, Peter, James, and John. Peter is one of the closest friends and followers of Jesus. So why does Jesus call Peter Satan? He's obviously not Satan, he's Peter. So why does Jesus call him Satan? Here's why, write this down. Peter and Satan wanted the same thing of Jesus, to not go to the cross. Peter knows that Jesus going to the cross will lose him everything. And so Peter doesn't want Jesus to go. That's why he rebukes him in the text. Now it's important that we note this today because, uh, because Peter and Satan wanted the same thing of Jesus, to not go to the cross. If, if you remember, um, when Jesus is baptized, there's a voice that comes from the heavens that says, this is, behold, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then what happens immediately after his baptism? Jesus will go into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights without food or water. And who meets him out in the wilderness other than, you guessed it, Satan. In Matthew 4 and Luke 4, we can read this record that Satan meets Jesus in the wilderness to tempt him. He meets the first Adam in the Garden of Eden is now going to meet the second Adam in the wilderness, the better Adam, Jesus, and he's tempting him. Now listen, this is so huge because if Satan, in, early in the gospels, if Satan can get Jesus to slip up even once, if Satan can get Jesus to slip up at all, if he gets him to sin or falter or fall at all, you and I, check this out church, would not be sitting here this morning, we would not be talking about the word of God, no one would care about the word of God because there'd be no hope for us. There'd be no salvation. There'd be no redemption. There would be no cross. There would be no resurrection because our sinless savior would no longer be sinless, would he? That's why this text matters. They want the same thing of Jesus not go to the cross. Satan desired Jesus to abandon his commission the same way Peter does, but write this down. Jesus didn't abandon his commission so that we would not abandon ours. Don't you know this to be true, church? That Jesus faithfully throughout his entire life does what he promised to do, dies and resurrects and calls us little Christ Christians and yet wouldn't expect the same thing of us? This is not a message that's conducive or parallel with the Bible and scripture. This is what we have come to believe maybe in the American church. So I wanna look at the nature of this commission, this commission that's so costly. Look down at your Bibles in verses 34 and five, it says this, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples. Remember, this is a massive crowd of people following Jesus as he's teaching. And he is about to share with them the most unpopular message that you can ever hear. I'm gonna share it with you this morning, all right? Here's what he says. <clears throat> Sorry, I lost my place. Here's what he says. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, 
let him, three things, deny himself, the text says, take up his cross and follow me. Let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Verse 35, for whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Here's my third and final truth this morning. You write this down. True disciples give up everything for the gospel's cause. Christians, under the sound of my voice this morning, if you claim to be a Christian, if you claim to be bought and saved and redeemed by Jesus Christ and that cross work that he did behind me, if you claim that this morning, you are under this commission. True disciples give up everything for the gospel's cause. Christ in the text right there teaches us a true disciple denies their own self-interests. A true disciple is willing to die for his cause. This isn't a metaphor, it's literal. That, that, that following Jesus may mean our death for him. What a blessed thing it would be for some of us in the room to be persecuted for our faith and maybe even die. What a blessed thing that would be to die as a martyr for the Lord Jesus. And here's why it falls on deaf ears this morning because we live in a world rampant with comfort and safety and all these things that we just treasure up that make our lives simple and easy. And yet, if you were a Christian in North Korea this morning, if you're, if you're a Christian in Afghanistan this morning hearing this message, they would be going, you know what? Tomorrow could be the day that I die. There are Christians all over the world that are being persecuted, martyred, killed because they refuse to renounce their faith. This is what Christ is getting to. He says, he says that a true disciple is not self-led, but led by Christ. Wherever he goes, I wanna go with him. I don't wanna follow this world. I wanna follow after culture. I wanna follow Jesus. I wanna be set apart and distinct. Called a citizen of heaven. Listen to me this morning. Are you led by Jesus Christ this morning? Are you willing to endure whatever for his namesake? Are you or is your life valuable to you in so much as it's useful for Christ? You will never see in the Bible Jesus offering human beings easy comforts. You're never gonna open up scripture and see Jesus saying, hey guys, I wanna give you all this health, all this wealth, all this prosperity. No, Jesus did not come to offer us comfort. He came to offer us a commission, a commission, albeit that was costly. Those who treasure Christ above all things will suffer whatever, lose whatever, die in whatever way they have to because they believe in this commission. Maybe you guys have heard this story before. Maybe you have, I'm gonna share it with you anyway. This is the Elliots. This is uh, Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. They were married on the mission field in Ecuador in 1953. The couple had a supreme desire to make much of Jesus on the mission field. And so uh, they're sent to minister to an unreached people group called the Aka tribe, okay? Sometimes in the modern day, they're called the Harani tribe. So we'll just go with that. They're called the Harani tribe and they're, and they're known for their savagery and their cannibalism. So savagery to the degree of eating other people. And, and these two are sent to minister to that group. You know why? Because no one else was gonna go. 
and they knew that they didn't know the gospel. So Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, seeking to make much of Jesus, decide that despite what it costs them, they will go and minister to this tribe. Some of you know the story. Three years later, in 1956, Jim, the husband, and four other men are speared to death by members of the tribe that they were ministering to. Elizabeth, who isn't there at the time, receives this news back home while she's caring for the couple's new 10-month-old baby. I don't know how you would respond, but Elizabeth chose to respond by going back to the same tribe that murdered her husband and ministered to them for the next two years. Elizabeth Elliot later in her life was quoted to have said this. I wanna share this quote with you. We cannot give our hearts to God and keep our bodies for ourselves. Beloved, may, may this slide here, may this text here, this quote, would, would this act as a mirror to your life this morning? Do, do you see this reflective in your life? Do you see this reflective in your disposition, your character, your posture towards life? She says, we cannot keep our hearts to God and keep our bodies for ourselves. Listen to me, following Jesus is costly. It's costly. Following and being a disciple of Jesus is costly. But you and I have been duped to believe that following Jesus means that God is going to give us more wealth, more health, and more prosperity. No, using God to get what you want is not being a disciple. That's called being deceived. The secret, I wanna give it to you this morning. This is powerful. Okay, write this down. The secret to Christianity, I'm gonna show you in a second why this is the case. The secret to Christianity is that in dying, we actually find life. Did you know this? The secret to Christianity is that in dying, we actually find life. And no, I'm not talking about your physical death and oh, we go into eternal life with the Lord in glory forever. I'm not talking about that death. I'm talking about a different kind of death, a self-denial death, a death to my own desires, a death to my own pursuits, a death to my own safeties. This kind of life is the secret to Christianity. You see, you cannot have the life of Jesus without also adopting the lifestyle of Jesus. One of my favorite authors said that. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the one who wrote such a great work on discipleship says this, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Christianity, people in the church this morning, is not a come and live message, but come and die. Christianity is not a come and live, but a come and die. And in our death, we find true life. Does this make sense this morning? Are you following me this morning? Die to yourself, die to your desires, die to your safeties, die to your pursuits, die to your pleasures. And check this out, in dying to lesser pleasures, we find a more supreme pleasure. Is Christ more important to you than your life? Do you love him more than lesser loves? 
Do you care about him more than comfort and wealth and success and safety? Look at me, are you willing to give up everything for him? This is what Mark addresses in the text today. Christianity is built upon the backs, starting with Jesus. Christianity is built upon the backs of those who considered Christ's life more significant than their own. Can I say that one more time? Christianity is built on the backs of those who considered Christ's life more significant than their own. You know this? Let's just consider for a second on this Lord's day, the disciples, the apostles. Peter, who we've been talking about in this text this morning, is crucified upside down because he wasn't worthy of being crucified the same way his savior Jesus was. And this was right seconds after watching his own wife be crucified before his eyes. They made him watch. They made him. That's Peter. Mark, the one who writes this account from Peter's perspective, died after being cruelly dragged through the streets. Luke, the next gospel writer, was hanged upon an olive tree in Greece. Thomas was pierced to death by four spears. Philip was tortured to death. Matthew was stabbed to death. Jude was shot to death by arrows. Bartholomew, check this out. Bartholomew, was, he was literally flayed alive, meaning he was alive and they peeled all of his skin off his entire body as he lived and then beheaded him. James was thrown from the pinnacle of the temple and then clubbed to death. Simon was beheaded in Persia. Andrew was crucified. This is crazy. He's crucified and he's literally on the cross dying and is preaching the gospel to those perishing below him. And he says, turn, believe in this Christ as he himself dies. Matthias, stoned and then beheaded. Barnabas, stoned to death. John the Baptist, boiled alive in hot oil and then exiled to an island. John the Baptist, beheaded for his radical following of Jesus. Stephen, Acts 7, died by stoning. Paul, beheaded by Nero. Joan of Arc, burned at the stake for not recanting her faith. Thomas More, beheaded for not recanting. And William Tyndale, the man we looked at at the beginning, burned at the stake for translating the Bible. The call of Christ is the call to take up the cross, even if it means our death. I want you to look a verse further in verse 36. Here's what Mark, here's what Jesus says. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Look all across this room, Look all across America. Look all across the world. Do you see anybody wanting to lay down their life? No, everybody's seeking life. Everybody's seeking to save their own life. And Jesus says in seeking to save it, you're losing it. What is your life about this morning? Do you seek to make much of Jesus? Is this commission your commission? Or are you like the rest of America numbed and drowned in all of our little securities and comforts and things and wealth that we seek and in our doing so are missing out, forfeiting our souls. Oh church, I love you this morning. I want this to be something that keeps you up at night. I want this to be something that, that, that man, you get up out of bed in the morning and just yearn, Lord, how can I make much of you today? You are all I want. 
You're all I need. I want you. I just want you. I want to make much of you. I want to make you known. I want to share you with everybody that I can. I want you to know. I want that. I want you them to be known. I want. I want. I want Jesus. That's all. Is that your life this morning? What is your primary pursuit? That's what Jesus is asking in the text. Is your primary pursuit comforts? Is it safety? Is it security? Is it wealth? There is not a wealthy man alive who would not give it all away for yet one more breath of air. I remember being in the room last year during the final days of my aunt Glenda's life on the earth. You see, she was dying of stage four colon cancer. And I remember, sorry. I remember in those moments watching my aunt struggle to breathe. And um, sometimes we'd whisper, I love you, Aunt Glenda. And, and maybe in her stupor, she might be able to whisper it back to us. I love you, I love you. I remember watching my father read her passages out of John 14. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. She was about to meet him. And we would sit and take turns praying for her as she took her final breaths on this earth. And even though I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that my Aunt Glenda is in heaven right now in glory with her Lord, she would have given, it, she would have given anything to get out of that hospital bed. Here's what Peter is telling us. Here's what Jesus is telling us to do in this text. We need to take stock of our lives, beloved, from that deathbed setting. What was it all about? What was your life's ambition? What was its purpose? What's your aim? You see, death is a great teacher, isn't it? And when we are retired to the hospital gown, the promotion that you got when you were 40, the car you bought when you were 30, the degree you got when you were 22, the kind of house you bought, the kind of things you had, all those things begin to fade into the mist and what is most important becomes revealed to us, doesn't it? When we retired to that hospital bed. Put yourself there. Put yourself there at the end of your life. Right now, do it. Put yourself there. What is your life about when you're in that bed? What do you want to look back on your life and say, man, I gave it everything. I didn't have much, but I gave it everything. William Tyndale at 44 years died a horrific death, but man, did he give it his all. He lost his life long before he died, didn't he? And my dream is that this would be our church, that we would lose out our lives for Christ long before we leave this earth. So as we close, I wanna encourage you church, Christ does not call us to this costly commission from some ivory palace, from some throne. No, Jesus does not ask us to do anything that he himself hasn't done. Do me a favor, would you really quick? I want you to just fix your eyes, fix your glare on that, glare on that cross behind me, would you? And as you look at that cross behind me, I want you to think about the tremendous cost Jesus paid for you and for me. This commission would take him all the way to Calvary. And man, we see Jesus being faithful all the way to the end without sin, dies so that we can be saved, 
died so that we can be ransomed, died so that our sin penalty is done away with, died so that we can be with him forever in glory. This is not something Jesus calls us to his disciples, not having done already himself. Jesus Christ is the perfect disciple. He is the disciple who did it all when no one else could. And all of us in this room this morning who say we're a believer in Christ, that's your story. He did that for you. He did that for me. So as we close, what is most valuable to you in this life? What is it? Is it comfort? Is it safety? Is it your bank account? Or is it this commission? This commission that while so costly is the call of Christ on every believer in this room. Is this commission your commission? I invite you to pray with me now. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you, God, for your word. Lord, I pray that you would take the word that's been implanted in every heart in here this morning. God, and that you would have a way, do a work. Lord, maybe some people in this room this morning need to just fall on their face before you, repent for God making this life about them. God, repent for not seeing the greater picture and story and all of it that we're living our life, we're running by, we're busy, but we're not thinking about what's most important. Father, help us to take stock of our lives from the end of it and ask ourselves the question, did we do faithfully with what you called us to do as your disciples? Father, would you do a work now? Would you have your way in our lives? Let none of us walk from this place today unnerved, bothered. Lord, I pray that this message would be a rock in someone's shoe this morning, constantly thinking on it, constantly going, man, is this, is this where I am? Have I been faithful? Have I done much with what I was given? Or have I, like most, just squandered it, given it away to lesser loves and lesser things and lesser pleasures? Lord, help us to take on this commission, this commission that's so costly as our commission. We love you, Jesus. We pray all this in your mighty name. Amen.